Welcome to Same Team Forever, where we spend time with you talking about real-life relationship scenarios from a biblical and psychological point of view. Hey, Same Team family, Josh and Dr. Britt back with you today. Brittany, we have a uniquely and personally special show today. Um, Go ahead and give them the title of the show. Lucky number seven. Why? Because today is our seventh anniversary. Well, not actually today. When this airs. When this airs. When this airs. It's our seventh anniversary, you guys. We're super excited. This show is is uniquely special to us, not just because it's lucky number seven. We're moving on and have moved on to eight, but wanted to come to you after seven years and bring to you seven of our tips, seven keys to get you through those doors, those years into your next, and for us, that's year eight. Literally, many marriages get divorced in year seven. And that often has to do with kids coming into the picture and changing things up and it just being difficult. And also, all of those feelings, those really lovey feelings, are not anywhere around like they were when you were first married. Now you have to cultivate them. Now you have to work for them. Now it takes effort. So here we are in year seven, and Britt, you, you, not to reiterate, but, but why this seventh year is so difficult for so many couples that don't, aren't able to make the full journey is that the honeymoon's over, life is now happening, uh, likely kids are in the mix, and um, from here on out, the work gets harder. I believe the play and the satisfaction gets better, but certainly the responsibility um, takes a step up for sure. Well, guys, today, again, we have our seven keys for you. So um, strap in and uh, let's get down to it. So it being <laughs> our seventh. Strap in. Where are we going? It being our seventh anniversary with our seven keys. Uh, these are in no particular order. But the order that we have them in uh, has some significance to us. So let's get right to it. The first one, number one, don't quit when it gets hard. It gets better. Dr. Brittany? Josh and I have had quite a few challenges in our marriage, to say the least. We have dealt, we have dealt with pain and brokenness, and suffering, and our our childhoods impacting our marriage, our uh, teenage and young adult year choices impacting our marriage. We came into things, we came into this marriage carrying things, and those things impacted our marriage. And so we really had to wrestle with those for quite a period of time. And it was difficult not to say that there weren't good parts because, oh my goodness, our marriage has been full of, of richness and love and choosing each other. But there were also parts that were really, really hard and parts where people might have left their marriage if they were us. They might have walked away and said, you know what, this isn't for me. And it's easy to do that when you're struggling, when you have pain, when when you look at this person and go, yeah, I know that the person I married is in there, but I'm not seeing that person right now. 
Yes. So here's the deal with that. Regardless of age, when you enter into a long-term relationship, specifically marriage, things don't naturally just sync up because you're married. So if that's an expectation, listen, we're going to chunk that out the window right now as we're cruising down the highway. But understanding and knowing that both of you enter into something, you enter into your new home as two individuals. So you have, as Brittany was talking about, you have your history, you have your experiences, you may even have some hurts, wounds, traumas, etc. You enter into a new birth, that being your new family. And so understanding from the get-go, uh, syncing up is something that only happens at this point on our devices. It does not happen in our marriage is specifically even more so year one. Um, so understanding that first of all, that when you get in, you're getting into work, you're getting into choosing to work. And really what that is, is to lean into your partner. So there's, there's four chambers of the heart. And, and Brittany, I'm thinking of this as you were speaking is that there's two larger chambers that, that pump the blood throughout the entire, um, thousands of miles of our bloodstreams in our bodies. Well, much like a heart, a healthy marriage beats in synchrony. It has a rhythm. It has a flow. In marriage, that doesn't happen initially. You have to come in and be willing to work towards creating just like a motor in a car, a flow and an and a understanding, a symphony almost, of two individuals that creates the great marriage. But understand that does not happen day one, nor year one. And for most of us, not even year 10. We're still working on that. Well, um, our point really is that don't quit when it gets hard because it gets better. Josh and I have definitely have had valley seasons. Seasons, not days, not weeks. Seasons. And we've also had those mountaintop seasons. And we had to be willing to keep climbing up the mountain when the road ahead looked a little treacherous. We had to continue to do that. So our encouragement to you, no matter where you are, no matter how long you've been married, no matter what you've faced, don't quit because it gets hard. It gets better. Absolutely does. And that puts us right into key number two. This was wisdom that was dropped on me before we got married, and I actually made it part of our vows. But that Brittany in my life, her voice is second only to God. So here's key two. Your spouse's voice is second only to God. And what that simply means is honor the Father. But when it comes to the influences in my life, there is no other voice that's louder than my wife's. There's no other voice that carries more authority. There's no other voice that I honor more. That includes my parents. That includes the groups that I grew up with. That includes my friends in college. That includes our neighbors. That includes my boss or anyone that I work with. That includes everyone outside of our home, outside of our marriage. My wife, my spouse, their voice is second only to God. Now, a byproduct of that for uh, a guy, which is pretty awesome, that I don't have a wife that complains. I don't have a wife that has to tell me the same thing 12 separate times. Mostly. Mostly. I'm not perfect. I'm still, I'm still under construction. But for the most part, when my wife speaks, I listen. 
I've given her that authority. My action backs it up. When she speaks, I empower that. And what I love so much about that, Brittany, is the Holy Spirit speaks to me through you on countless occasions because he knows I will listen. That door is open. That door is honored. And because of that, I get to hear the Holy Ghost in, in real time, audibly, through your voice. And I think that's something that's important with that is truly it creates trust in me with you. It helps me know that when you say, when I say something to you, that you will listen, that you will hear me. Now, I trust that you're going to make, you know, whatever the ultimate decision is, but I don't I can't think of a time when you've ever made a decision without me. Giving some more context to that. Not like I'm not an independent person. I absolutely think for myself. Absolutely. But when it comes to making key and intricate decisions for us as a family, my spouse is absolutely every time. We make those decisions together. In consideration for sure. It helps me be seen as a woman. It helps me be seen because I know that you see me. I know that you hear me. I know that the things that I have to say are valid to you, are important to you. And that is truly a gift that you get to give me. And on the flip side, as a woman, um, I, I think especially with like the feminist movement in the world, and by the way, I'm all about go girl power, Go girls, bad man pajamba, make it happen. I am all about that. And we can get in this place as women where we're like, I don't need you. I don't need a man to tell me what to do. And so in the same way, his voice has to be second to God's in my life. That I go, okay, I don't agree with what you're saying or I'm struggling with that, but I'm going to trust it. Because I know that you follow God, because I know that you hear from Holy Spirit, that I can trust what you're saying. I can trust your guidance. And just like you said, the gift of giving authority to our spouse's voice, the return is you are valuable to me. Mm -hmm. And what that creates is security. That creates certainty. And just like you said, that creates a trust that's deeper than the oceans. That's the gift you have, the power you have, and the gift you have to give each other. On to number three. Key number three is be right or have peace. Here we go again. More wisdom dropped on me before we got married, and it's something that I adhere to even to this day, obviously, and will never step away from is in our marriage, in our relationship, we will have conflict the rest of our life. Hadn't quite figured out how to filter that one out yet. So if you guys got that, uh, drop in the comments. Get us learnt. Teach us your ways, Obi-Wan Kenobi. No, we're <laughs> going to have conflict for the rest of our lives. But understanding that my wife, that Brittany, that we are one body. We are same team. And what that truly means with Be Right or Have Peace is if there's ever a conflict or a fight or whatever you want to call it and somebody wins, guys, that means the other person lost. And if somebody loses, there's no unity in that. The question then becomes, how is that working out for you? 
Josh is Josh is so funny. He's always said, "Listen, I can I can fight you till the death on this." But literally that means that I'm like I'm married to a loser. And I didn't marry a loser. So, we're not going to do that. We're not we're not going to fight that way. We are truly going to fight for each other, for our relationship and not have losers in the process. And so many couples I find get themselves in this right. situation where literally literally their pride runs the show so strongly. And it's not just men. Women do this too. That they have to be right. That they have to have the last word. And by doing that, they are literally destroying their marriage brick by brick Every time you do that, every time you can't go, you know what? I love you. I'm for you. We're same team. We're not seeing this the same way. We're not on the same page, but I want to get on the same page with you. That's so great. And I, the, the little asterisk I even threw out there is outside of moral issues, which are a fraction of conversations that any couple will have. Most stuff doesn't even matter. Most stuff doesn't even matter. And being right, the feeling of being right, that pride piece, is attached to a significance. Is I have to be right. I have to feel right. Not that you even are right. Likely you're wrong. Shots fired. But to feel right is attached to a significance piece that then becomes more valuable, more important to me as an individual than to create a same team. Versus having peace means not one of us or the other has to be right. But the deal is, is when we come to an agreement, there's not only a unity there, there's a peace there. And matter of factly, that's where God's authority lands. His hand falls on us and we're brought together. We're stronger. We're better. There's a greater satisfaction in us as a couple. And we walk not away from, but through a situation or through a scenario or through some circumstance Better, stronger, closer, and likely happier than we were walking into it. So, again, choose to be right or choose to have peace. Choose conflict or choose to have peace. The interesting thing is it's all a choice. It's a choice every time. Every time. Which is a perfect caveat. Here you go, guys. Key number four, choosing same team Always. So this is something that Brittany and I have used for, I believe, almost our entire marriage is same team. And so the great part about choosing same team is there was a not a choice, but a choice along with action that simply says we had a conversation about this at the beginning of our marriage. We sat down, we looked each other in the eye, said we are the Lashua's. We're going to be same team. We knew we we're going to have conflict. That's a given. But also knowing that if I choose to give my spouse the authority in the midst of conflict to say, and ours is same team, bro, quote, end quote, that before conflict becomes fighting, before conflict, conflict becomes knockdown drag out, my spouse, my wife has the authority to say same team, bro, to me. And I have the authority to say same team, bro, to her. And we instantly know what that means. 
I really want to say with this that I find so many couples get themselves into a hairy position with the whole same team bro concept because they wait until they are at the peak of activation. They wait until they are in this place where it's like the point of freaking no return, that they're cussing at each other, that their voices are loud, that they are calling the D word. That's divorce. We don't do that. That we are calling the D word on our marriage. And literally then they try to same team bro each other. And if by some miracle it works, then they take a step back. But really what we miss is that we have to actually same team bro each other. The moment that we realize that there is a miscommunication, the moment that there is a misattunement. So the big reveal there is ours is same team, bro. Make your, here's the reveal. It's your safe word. It's your agreed upon safe word that before the explosion, this is what we're going to say over each other to remind one another that this is about an us. It's not about an I. So our safe word is same team, bro. So here's the deal with conflict. Conflict has many forms and matter-of-factly evolutions. I like to use, if you've ever shot off a bottle rocket, I did that as a kid. So a bottle rocket sits in the bottle, has a stick on it, shoots up in the air, it's a firework. Um, you light the fuse. So conflict starts that way. We see it, we know it, we likely feel it in our chest. That little ball that's in your chest that you know is building up. I've got something to say. This doesn't feel right. We haven't really talked to each other all day. The text messages feel like they've been short. Whatever it may be, you feel it there. It's, it's tangible. Then when the fuse reaches the end, the bottle rocket takes off. And you watch it go off in the sky. There's a lot more energy that you feel at that point. Yet guys are still time. From the initial where you felt it to the explosion that you know is coming. So before you get to the explosion, which Dr. Britt just talked about, that is when you have the opportunity to turn towards one another. And that's when you same team bro. And understanding that one, no hill is worth dying on. There's no sword between the two of you that's worth falling on in order to feel right. Choosing same team is choosing each other Choosing you over the fight. So encouragement is call same team during the fuse phase. Mm -hmm. Don't wait until three seconds before the explosion. It's a lot harder. You can absolutely walk through that well. It's just a lot more difficult the longer you wait. And what that means is talk about it in safety. Talk about it. Uh, something else that I just want to add regarding this whole concept of same team bro or whatever your fa your safe word is, is that we choose to do this. We choose to give our spouse, and I'm reiterating this, we choose to give our spouse the authority to do that. And we have to do that. I have to say, you know what, Josh, if I ever just, you know, get it wrong, or all of a sudden I'm zero to 60 in 2.5 seconds, which I may or may not have a history of doing, I give you authority to call same team bro on me, to remind me. And once I've given him that permission, then that also gives me the choice to honor what he just said to me. That's perfect. Brings us to key number five. Now, where there is same team, 
when you enter into a marital room, the marital agreement, the day you get married, what has to stay outside is yourself. So what that means is self-preservation, self-sufficiency, self-promotions, uh, and then more, most importantly, selfishness, 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 got it, nailed it, has to die. It can't come with you. There's no room for self or selfishness in marriage. Marriage is about serving one another. Marriage is about putting the other first. It's the work to be done. As the honeymoon phase ends, you quickly understand that. And I also tell you, the more that I've given of myself to Brittany, the more I've gotten in return as far as peace, joy, connection, being the authentic version of me. And I've felt more attached by leaving self outside. You know, the Bible talks about how to become one. And it doesn't say one and one. It says to become one. And when to become one, that truly means that we are leaving selfishness behind. We must, we must die to ourself. Um, Pastor Keith Craft says that it's two deaths and one resurrection. And that is because selfishness has to die. And if it doesn't, it will destroy your marriage because we have, we will have every opportunity to choose me. Um, we can, we can choose me when we do really big, painful things like affairs. That's selfishness. We can choose me when we know that our spouse would really just like to have their arm scratched and instead we play on our phone. We choose me when we go, you know what, I, I know that this would really make you feel loved, but I'm too busy, don't have the time, would rather do something else. I don't feel like it. Yeah, I don't feel like it. That is selfishness. And so we often think about it in these really big, grand terms. But it's also these small daily choices over time. And unfortunately, there's no room for that in marriage. And not that we don't have good boundaries or that we're no longer individual people because we are individual people with desires and needs and all of those things. But we have to choose our spouse Every single time. Perfect. And as we're able to more often choose each other versus self, that gives us the ability at that point to have key number six, low expectations. Now, I wanted to find this first because some people might hear this wrong. Expectations are okay for the most part, generally speaking, on yourself the need or the want to grow, the desire to be better, the best version of yourself. Expectations are wonderful. They create goals. They create pathways to get to where you want to go. But if you are not able, let me say it this way, by putting expectations or grand expectations on your spouse, expectations are nothing more than a need or desire from within ourselves that we project onto our spouse, which immediately sets them up for failure. Immediately. So low expectation does not mean settle. Let me say that again. Having low expectations with your spouse or for your spouse does not mean settling. 
It means holding yourself to a certain standard of being the best version of yourself and owning that. By doing that, you're able to create a low expectation for your spouse, giving them the freedom to be the individual that they are, as well as the support beam that you need. So let me give you just sort of a really silly example. Um, When we were first married, uh, Josh and I shared a closet, and he he would be really frustrated that I would take off my clothes and then not hang them back up, y'all. That is something that I would struggle with because I was just tired and didn't want to do it and really just my own laziness. But he had this expectation that I would do the thing that he does, which is hang his clothes up where they go or put them in the laundry hamper. And he had a choice to put this low expectation on me. And by the way, he was frustrated. So he did have high expectations at first. And then he recognized that it was causing issues in our marriage from him to me. Because that was an expectation I had of myself. I expected myself to have my closet in order. And because we shared a space, all of a sudden that was now a projected expectation of Brittany. When it's one of those, it's just not a deal. I made it a deal until I realized... That wasn't working out. And then choosing to bring what I bring. So I hung our stuff up and I put it in the laundry basket and it took all of about 12 seconds. And then we had peace. Low expectations. We have to have low expectations. Takes us to, here's what, and I'm going to say this boldly. Boldly. Key number seven. Here's the unicorn dust for marriage. If you get one takeaway, make it lucky. Number seven, romance. Romance is what brought us together. Romance takes us back to the dating phase where we go out of our way to dress up, do our hair, you know, clean the car, throw on a little smell good sauce, pick up some flowers on the way, make some reservations, write a card, send a sweet message, Doing the things like that, that we would be willing to, giving that romance our focus is what brought us to each other in the first place. But over time, especially as life happens, in year seven, big one, we get comfortable. We can even become indifferent. Romance is what's lost. If you can make romance a cornerstone, a pillar in your marriage, something that you truly focus on frequently, that in of itself, because you can't be romantic if you're not patient. You're not romantic if you're not kind. All these things, hearing each other, listening, choosing to be same team, are all intrinsically sewn into what we define as romantic. Because romance doesn't always have to mean making out. Now it can. I support that. I support that, but romance can also be taking our kids to school in the morning so the other spouse doesn't have to, cleaning up the dishes. We don't typically do that, cooking for your spouse. There's all different ways we can romance outside of just a smooching. I think another big part of romance is affection. Affection is lost so fast If you guys are ever in Josh and I's sphere, and I'm sure some of our listeners can attest to this, 
We literally touch all the time. We're holding hands. We're sitting abnormally close. We hang on each other. It's like, what are you even doing? Uh, And by we, I mean me. I hang on Josh. When we have a rule, if we're watching TV, we have to be snuggling. Um, We go to bed snuggling, gratefully, because we have an Uller. Y'all, one of the best investments. And they are not, we're not sponsoring, they're, they're not sponsoring us, but literally one of the best investments in your marriage of your hot bodies is buy an Uller by Chili Pad and you can snuggle because we are hot bodies. So we go to bed snuggling every night because that is a part of the way that we continue to have affection in our marriage. And it's not about sex. It's literally just about being close with each other. Love that. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope this blessed you. Thank you for being a part of our seventh anniversary uh, podcast show. Um, I hope the keys are something that you can take and put to work for you today. We're thinking of you. We're praying for you. We see blessings over you, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. This is Josh with Same Team Forever, and we want to thank you for listening to the podcast. We so love relationships and are believing for God's best in your life. If you enjoyed today's conversation and don't want to miss another upload, subscribe to Same Team Forever podcast and take a few moments to leave us a review. Your reviews help us reach more relationships around the world. For more great relationship content, upcoming events, and more Life with the Lashwas, follow and like Same Team Forever on Instagram and Facebook or visit sameteamforever.com.